Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38, so you can be making your way there. But I just want to spend some some time today just uh, allowing all of our hearts to focus, to gaze upon, to think about uh, the coming of Christ, his first coming, born in a manger, in a stable cave, but also his second coming as well. We don't know the day or the hour of that event, but we do know it's coming. And I think part of Advent is, is uh, allowing our hearts to think about that reality as well. So let's pray together and then we'll dive into uh, our time in the Word today. Heavenly Father, uh, so grateful uh, to be here today to open your Word, to study together as a church family, to think about uh, the first coming of Jesus as well as his second coming. And I pray, Lord, that as we are in this present moment, that our hearts are open to hear your Word, to grow Uh, to be more like Jesus, uh, to live lives that glorify you in everything that we do. And God, I pray for hearts in our room that may be hurting or suffering or going through difficulty, that you would give them grace today and compassion and and just comfort in this this time. So be with us, Jesus, as as we open your word, open up our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start with a question. Uh, I, don't, I don't need any responses back, so just kind of think of this on your own. It may be a, a bit of a broad question, maybe a loaded question, but just think about it for a second. Uh, how do you feel about waiting? And just waiting in general. You know, I don't, again, it's kind of broad, but just waiting. So waiting for, uh, it could be a number of things. Maybe you're at you know, your favorite coffee shop and your coffee is just taking a little too long to get into your hands. You're, you're waiting. It's, you feel a bit irritated, maybe a bit agitated, a bit anxious maybe. Or maybe you're heading home today and the red light is just taking way too long to flip from red to green and you just want to get home so you can watch the Bears game later today, right? Amen? I had to throw that in there. They played today. So. But waiting can be really, really hard. Or, or, or maybe you're sitting at a restaurant and, and the, the waiting staff is, is not serving you as quickly as they should. And we know with a, a, wait, a waitress and waiter shortage, that can be a, a reality for a, a lot of us. Here's, here is the reality. Waiting is hard. Waiting tests our patience. Waiting sometimes tests and pushes our self-control. Waiting tests our nerves. Now, I don't think anything really pushed me to my patience boundary more than sitting in our, our, in our hometown, one of our hometowns uh, in the region, Rensselaer, Indiana, at our, our family doctor's office. That was, that was a a very long wait just to see the doctor in Rensselaer, Indiana. We love Dr. Spicer, and, and up until about seven or eight years ago, he was actually our family's primary caregiver. And Dr. Spicer and my family, actually my extended family, we have a very long relationship with him. He has been in our family's lives for decades. He was my grandmother and grandfather's doctor. He was my mom and dad's doctor. He was my doctor. And then up until a few years ago, he was my boy's doctor as well. So multiple generations. He delivered me 36 years ago. He delivered each of my three boys. So there was a long family history with this doctor, relational. Uh, We really, really enjoyed him. But going to his doctor's office to actually see him was quite brutal, to to be perfectly honest. Let me just kind of share a little bit about what would happen when you would see Dr. Spicer on a typical visit. First of all, you would walk into the office, you'd go to the front desk, probably about 10 or so minutes early so you could check in. Now, that was pretty common procedure, but you also had this underlying hope that if I got there a little bit early, 
Maybe I could see the doctor a little bit early. That actually never happened, but we went in there with that hope. So we'd walk into the office with, lined with wood paneling and very outdated artwork on the wall, and, and the, the, the decor was very outdated. It looked like it was probably from the 70s. The, the style was not the top priority of this doctor's office. And I, the, the, really the centerpiece artwork hanging on the wall was Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. Like that's, that's just what it was. And this was not a a pediatrician. This was a family doctor, so they would appeal to everybody. But uh, it was, that was just how it was, kind of old school. And they had coffee tables and end tables with magazines. And man, I've read a lot of magazines waiting for the doctor in that doctor's office. Because once you finally checked in and sat down, it was at least 45 minutes to an hour before you would be called back to go see the doctor or what you thought you would go see the doctor. Because what happened is the nurse would come in, she'd open the door, she'd call your family name. And you would take this little jaunt, this cortege to the door, thinking, just swelled with pride, thinking you'd finally accomplish something. But once you finally passed through the door, while it would make sense to see the doctor, that actually never happened. What what happened was was one of two things. You would go to a smaller waiting room beyond the door and wait for another 35, 45, maybe even up to an hour, 60, 60 minutes long. Or you'd go to the examination room where you would wait 35 minutes, 45 minutes, even up to an hour. So I know that I might sound like I'm exaggerating, but going to see him on a typical visit, a scheduled visit, was two and a half hours at least. That was, that was just, just bank on half a day, and, and you're probably safe. If you feel like I'm exaggerating, talk to my wife. She will confirm everything that I'm saying. It was a long time. But see, what would happen, though, is when we would finally get to see the doctor, again, long family history, had a great relationship with him, we would be met with, compassion and care and just a, a, great, a great experience because he was intentional about caring for myself or for my family. He was, he was special in that way. He had a, had a great knack at a great bedside manners, loved helping people. So he would spend intentional time. So the reason it took him so long is because he's spending time with his patients. And so when we finally met him and, and had our time with him, it was, it was worth the wait. It was, was worth the wait spending some time with him. And when we think about the Advent or Christmas season. That anticipation, it grows each week as we wait for Christmas Day to arrive. And I would say for the majority of us in the room, when Christmas Day finally arrives, we can say with authority, this is worth the wait. And when we think about just the name Advent, I think waiting is implied even in its name. See, Advent is from the Latin word Adventus, which means a that means, means a coming or arrival. It's actually translated from the Greek word parousia, which means coming. And again, historically, Advent was celebrated with a dual meaning. It's the first coming of Christ as born in Bethlehem in a manger in a stable cave. But it's also intended to have our hearts gravitate to the second coming of Jesus as well. We spent a good bulk of the summer talking about the parousia, the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in both instances... Whether it's the first or second coming, waiting is implied. Waiting can be hard. Waiting can test us in many different ways. And we're going to see some individuals in our text today that had to wait for some things. But while they waited, we see some pretty remarkable things about the kind of people they were. So with that in mind, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 25 through 38. And as we do this, just notice how God is moving in their hearts through this narrative and and, and some of the ways that they're just exhibiting such remarkable devotion to God through it all. Let's, Let's start in verse number 25. 
Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, meaning Mary and Joseph, to do from according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, So picture Simeon holding baby Jesus in his arms at this point, and he begins to sing, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people. And Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And Mary, parenthetical here, a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel in the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, who all were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, as we think about our text today, there are three observations that I noticed in the text that really struck me as I was kind of processing through this text. The first observation that I had was the character that is represented in each of the players in our text. They had godly character. They loved the Lord. They were devoted to the Lord. And you really see their character shine through in this moment. Well, who, who are our players? We have Mary and Joseph. We have Simeon and Anna. Of course, there's Jesus as well. But I want to really focus on the character of Mary and Joseph, Anna, and Simeon. Let's examine Simeon's character first. See, I think Luke does a brilliant job of, of describing the kind of man Simeon was in just a few words. See, Luke describes Simeon as a devout and righteous man in Jerusalem. And I really feel like that character is revealed in what Simeon is doing in that moment. What is Simeon doing? Well, Luke tells us he is waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Simeon is waiting. His character is revealed. And while actually very little is known, is known about Simeon, we clearly see the kind of man that he was in this text. He was righteous and devout. So what does that mean exactly, being righteous and devout? Well, it simply means that he was a man who lived a life that pleased the Lord and allowed him to have a great reputation and great rapport with other people. So simply put, we can say that Simeon, he loved God and he loved people. And his character was notable enough by Luke under the inspiration of the Spirit to say to us, to the readers at that time, hey, Simeon, he was a righteous and devout man. It was, that was a notable thing for Luke to write. And it's a great way for Simeon to be remembered righteous and devout. He had high, high character. Also mentioned in our text is Mary and Joseph. And while we don't get a lot about their character in this text specifically, we do see from other passages of Scripture that Mary and Joseph were also people of high character. They loved the Lord. 
So if we read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, you have the annunciation of Christ to the Virgin Mary. And this is where Gabriel comes to her and, and basically says to her, you are going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And he says to her by, by way of greeting, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What's fascinating is when Gabriel shares this greeting with Mary, Scripture says that Mary tried to discern what this kind of greeting was. And so we have a, a thoughtful, discerning you know, intentional marriage. She's thinking about the things of the Lord. She's, she's a teenager here. It's historically, she was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14 years old, and she's discerning the things of the Lord. What does this mean? God, what does this greeting mean? She's thoughtful in the things of the Lord. We also know that she was a pure woman as well, as, as it's mentioned in the text multiple times that she was a virgin. So she was discerning. She was pure, not only physically, but also in her heart. What a great way to be described. And then you also have Joseph, who's also mentioned, much like Simeon, as being described as just and righteous. He was obedient to the laws of God. He had compassion on others. He worshiped the Lord regularly. And I think this was on full display as he was deciding on what to do with Mary after he had found out she was with child. And so, the, so Gabriel c- comes to Joseph in a dream and says to Joseph, hey, the, the, the child that you're betrothed is carrying is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And what does Joseph do? He listens to the message of God. He takes Mary as his wife and he raises baby Jesus into adulthood and adolescent into adulthood. And he is the earthly father of Jesus. He follows the commands of the Lord. He He obeys God. He is a man of high integrity. He is just. He is righteous. And then you have Anna. And there's a healthy portion of Anna's credentials and character mentioned by Luke in the text. See, Luke describes Anna as an elderly widowed prophetess who did not depart from the temple as she prayed and fasted and worshiped night and day. I don't think Luke is intending to say that she was there 24-7. I think he's intending to say she was there probably every single day worshiping and loving and giving and serving and ministering to people. What a way to be remembered. They were people of high, high character. And while all, of, all these individuals had high character and, and, and really had some common bonds between them, I think there were two that really stand out to me. One we've already talked about. They're, they're high character. There was a common bond between them. They have different stories to tell, but we see that character was something that bonded them together. I think another thing that bonded them together, a common thread between the four of them was waiting. And did you notice how many times waiting was used in the text? They were waiting, they were anticipating, longing for something. And all four of these individuals were well acquainted with this. See, Mary and Joseph waited the full term of the pregnancy, anticipating the day when they would hold Jesus in their arms. Simeon waited, maybe even several decades to, to, hold, to behold the one who would bring salvation to Israel. And Anna, being well advanced in years, maybe even as old as 105, depending on which scholar you read and listen to, at 105, 84, she gave thanks to God who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, herself included. You know, waiting was a common thread between them. So if People of high character, waiting is something. So I think in the waiting, in this process of, of anticipating, their character was on full display. 
That's the first observation I make in the text. Uh, the second observation that really struck me and impacted me was their heart of worship. Was their heart of worship. Yeah, they were devoted to God. They loved the Lord. And this was seen in how they worshiped the Lord. Think about Mary for a moment. When she found out that she was to be the mother of Jesus, what did she do? Well, I think Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, tell us what she did. She worshiped. We have the Magnificat, the song of Mary, which means my soul magnifies the Lord. See, Mary was so moved at the reality that she would carry the mo- be the mother of Christ and carry this little one in her womb that she worshiped in song. Joseph, after learning the reality that, that this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he was, he was uh, moved at the message of the angel, he chose to worship the Lord in obedience and take Mary as his wife and raise this child. I think even Mary and Joseph together, we see worship is, is common between them as they're worshiping together. And we see this in our text. See, they're following the commands of Scripture and bringing Christ for his purification. See, Leviticus 12 gives instructions to mothers on what needs to take place after a baby is born, whether it's a, a boy or a girl. There's instructions for both. Listen to what Leviticus 12 says, and notice how Mary and Joseph followed this passage of Scripture and were obedient to it. Verse, verses uh, number 1 through 4 and also number 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Now we know from Luke 2, from our text today, this is exactly what Mary and Joseph did. They followed Leviticus 12, 1 through 4 and verse number 6 to the letter. They brought their sacrifice for their sin offering. They, they waited the 40 days for purification. They had Jesus circumcised on the, the eighth day. We see that in Luke 2, 21. And so they were worshiping as they were being obedient to Scripture. They were doing that together as husband and, and wife, the, the betrothed with one another. Simeon was a just and devout man serving day after day in the Lord. This is how he worshiped as well. And he anticipated a time when he would hold baby Jesus in his arms, the, the Messiah. And just like Mary and Joseph waited, he waited. And when Jesus was finally, finally presented to him and he held him in his arms, Simeon was holding this child. What did Simeon do? He also began to sing. He began to worship. Even in her old age, Anna was fasting and praying and serving as she waited. The, the, the waiting period allowed them an opportunity to, to reveal how much they loved the Lord and to serve and worship the Lord. Waiting allowed their character to be expressed. It couldn't have been easy for them to wait at different times. It couldn't have been easy for Mary and Joseph to wait for the arrival of Jesus. I mean, those of us who have had children have had that privilege and honor. There's, a, there's an anticipation that comes and an excitement that comes. And sometimes you say, I can't wait. It couldn't have been easy for Simeon to, to finally behold the one who would rescue and bring in comfort to Israel. 
It couldn't have been easy always for Anna to say, I can't wait to see the redemption of Israel because waiting is hard. And although it revealed their godly character, it doesn't mean that waiting is easy. And I think some of us in the room know what this feels like. I think some of us in the, in the room know that waiting is really hard. Waiting can be really hard, to, especially if we're waiting for something that is very dear and special to us because we've been waiting for some things too, haven't we? I think for some of us, you know, we're, we're waiting for maybe that next promotion at work because we know if we can just get that promotion, have an increase of salary or wage, then my family dynamic can change a little bit. I'm waiting for that promotion. Maybe some of us in the room are waiting for our marriages to finally turn the corner so we can have some peace between husband and wife and we can have some joy like we used to. I'm, I'm waiting for that day to come. Maybe some of us in the room are, are waiting for retirement. We're kind of getting to that age where, you know, my career is winding up and what's this next season of life going to look like for me? I'm waiting for that day. Maybe some of us are waiting for our prodigal children to finally come back to the Lord and have a, a restored fellowship and relationship with Him. Or maybe you're waiting to have a relationship with your son or daughter who, who may be apart from you right now. Maybe some of us in the room are waiting to have children of our own. And you feel the heartache day in and day out as, as that waiting continues. We, we know that waiting can be hard. Some of us might be dealing with a besetting sin. We're waiting for this battle to be over because we just feel like, I can't handle this anymore. I can't wait for this battle to be over. Or maybe some of us are waiting for the grief and sorrow and despair and discouragement in our life to finally relent because we've waited long enough. I've waited enough. I can't wait for this to be over. Maybe we're waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to finally come into our life. So we're not single anymore. And I can't wait till I move on to that phase of my life. See, if you or someone you know feels like this, knows what it's like to wait, just know that God knows exactly where you are. and He knows exactly what you're waiting for. Just like he did with Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna. And while we're waiting, keep worshiping. While we're waiting, keep serving. While we're waiting, keep on trusting. May we be known as people who find comfort in knowing that while we are waiting, God is working. And while it's not always easy to wait, there's so much revealed in our heart while we do wait. And I pray that we can use the models of Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph as, as people who waited so patiently and so graciously and with a heart for the Lord, and they just kept on worshiping. They had discouraging days. I'm sure it was difficult at times. It was not easy, but they kept on worshiping. That's an observation that I have is these individuals, not only do they have high character, they had hearts of worship. A third observation that I see in the text is how rich this text is with the gospel. We actually see a, a couple of different times in both instances, it's talking about the one who would bring salvation, meaning Jesus Christ. First, we see this in verse number 25. It says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's interesting is that the Greek word used here for consolation is paraklesis. And it means to come to one's aid, to comfort or to encourage. And of course, this is speaking exactly of the person of Jesus 
See, God had come as a man. He lived a sinless life, offered a substitutionary death on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again three days later. And in performing this incredible work, Jesus, fully God, fully man, provides comfort for all who believe in him. But what's fascinating is the name that that Luke uses and Simeon uses for the name of Jesus. He says, this is the paraclete. See, a little later on in the life of Christ, as, as Jesus, this is the upper room discourse, he's trying to provide some comfort for his disciples. These are the, the last few hours of Jesus' earthly life before he goes to the cross and, and dies for the sins of the world. He's, he's providing comfort for his disciples. And he says, I, I have to, I'm going to go back to the Father, but be encouraged, be comforted in knowing that I will not leave you comfortless. We will send another comforter. Jesus is saying that I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He says, actually, it's far better for you that I go. And why is this better? Why is this better? I thought Jesus was the comforter and he is the comforter. But now the comforter, the paraclete, is in us. God is in us. See, I think sometimes we can struggle with a passage like this because we see this as a choice between Jesus present or Jesus absent. And if if this were the choice, then of course we want Jesus present. But the choice isn't Jesus present or Jesus absent. It's actually God with us and God in us. See, for those who have believed in Christ for salvation, we now have God with us and we have God in us. We have been blessed to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, and he comforts us. And and this is the comforter that Jesus promises disciples. Jesus brought us comfort by paying for the sins of the world, dying on a cross. And now we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit indwelling us for those who have believed in Christ. Simeon also shares a prophecy with Mary that gives insight on what will happen to Jesus. He says in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And in the middle of his prophecy, he begins to to speak to Mary. And he says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, meaning that you will see all this transpire. You will see Jesus die on a cross. You will see him suffer. So that from the hearts, uh, so from many hearts may be revealed. Now, Scholars don't all agree on, on, on interpretation of this text. But I think we all come to the same agreement that the message that Jesus would proclaim in his earthly ministry would cause some to fall away. Some would embrace him with joy. Some would deny him and even seek to kill him. But I think another way that this can be applied to us, and maybe even historically, is there have been those who have, have, have humbled themselves before the Lord, have believed in him and trusted him as Savior and Lord, and some have been risen with pride and, and reject him and, and just think that they can find salvation their own way. That's the, the rising and the falling. We fall humbly or we rise in pride. We know that Simeon was preparing Mary for what was going to happen to her son, Jesus, that he would die a death that would satisfy the wrath of God. And even Anna, as she is in this moment, she points directly to the gospel as as she began to give thanks to God and speak of him, all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were waiting for redemption. They were waiting for Jesus. And now he is here. Redemption is here. Salvation is here. Hope is here. Joy is here. And all of it found in the person of Jesus. The wait is over. Light has come. I think there's some reality for us there as well. 
And so as we begin to land the plane on this message, I want to offer two points of application for all of us today. The first one is this. We've already talked a little bit about this, but it's just more of a reminder. While we wait, worship. While we wait, worship. We clearly see this in the, the, the hearts of the men and women represented in our text. And I pray that you and I can do the same thing. Think about what it is that you're waiting for. What is it that you are waiting for? What is it that you're longing for, anticipating while you are waiting? Worship. Sing songs. Read the word, pray fast, lift your hands, serve, give, be the hands and feet of Jesus, but keep on worshiping. Again, in seasons of waiting, we can grow agitated, we can be nervous, we can worry, we can be discouraged, we can be in despair. There are so many emotions that come while we're waiting, but in those seasons of waiting, even in our discouragement, let's keep worshiping. The times that we get agitated, times we get a little bit antsy in our way, that's just misguided worship. We're focusing on the wrong thing. We tend to focus on the circumstance rather than on the Savior. See, worship is, is having a laser-like focus on God in every area of our life. So while you might be waiting for that positive pregnancy, pregnancy test, gaze upon Jesus while you're waiting for a sickness to run its course, gaze upon Jesus. While you're waiting for your marriage to find healing, gaze upon Jesus. While you're waiting to find some victory in your life over a besetting sin, gaze upon Jesus. While we wait, let's worship. Remember, we want to be known as a people who find comfort in knowing, understanding, believing that while we are waiting, God is working. While we wait, let's worship. Second application point is this. Allow our waiting to ignite anticipation. Allow waiting to ignite anticipation. This is what Advent is all about, right? It's the longing for the coming of the Savior. And, and in this season of waiting, allow it to ignite an anticipation for the return, the second coming of Jesus. Remember what we talked about at the beginning part of our sermon. That this is, Advent season has historically been dual meaning. We want to remember the first coming of Christ, but also have a longing and an eager anticipation for the second coming of Christ as well. The first one is right and good, and we want to remember and celebrate the first coming of Christ. We also want to celebrate and know and be anticipating the second coming of Jesus as well. And while we are waiting for that day to arrive, we're going to keep on worshiping, we're going to serve, we're going to give, we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And when he does return, it will be on that day when we will be in his presence forever. No more waiting for the things to be better in our life because we will rest in the perfection of our holy God. There will be no more pain, no more heartache, no more tears, no more waiting. Someday our wait will be over. But while we wait, in this season of waiting, let's keep on worshiping. In this season of waiting, let's keep on anticipating, knowing that Jesus is coming again. Let's be motivated by the gospel. Let's worship, let's serve, let's pray, let's give, let's be in the word. So while we wait, let's know that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, our wait will be over. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word for this time to study and grow and learn and examine the, the lives of Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph and talk about how the gospel influenced them, how they were motivated by high character because they were motivated by you. 
God, you, you redeem them, you rescue them, you show them who Jesus was and what he would do and accomplish. And God, we're so grateful that you gave insight uh, to those individuals. And I pray, Lord, that as we are here today and we're able to look back and, in this text and see how it applies to us today, uh, first of all, God, I pray that there's some in the room that, that do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray that they will hear the gospel today, will be moved by the gospel as the Holy Spirit grips their heart. And God, they will believe in Christ as, as their Savior today. And God, I also pray for those of us in the room that have been waiting for certain things. And, and God, I, I gave a list, but I'm certain that I've missed some things as well. So God, whatever it is that we may be waiting for, I pray that in that waiting season that your Spirit is ministering to us. God, we're worshiping. And God, we are focused on you. So God, we ask for comfort for those who might be discouraged today, might be in despair that you would just send them peace and comfort today. Thank you, God, that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to encourage us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.